Hey everyone, this is Flippin' Finance. I'm Samus Moore, and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Hello, hello. Today is August 14th, 2023, and today we are covering how stock performance works and other burning questions. With that, kick the disclosure music. As always, none of this is investment advice and does not constitute constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Valero Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. And things change, so we have no duty to go back and revise any of this information. With that out of the way, Fabian, you're wearing a new hat, a Maine Beer Company hat, my favorite place am, in the yeah. world. Yes, I am. You know, I love it there, but the one, if I have to have, so I was just in Maine. Maine Beer Company is in Freeport, Maine. So it's about mm-hmm. 45 minutes from where we were. And they make amazing beers. They, mm-hmm. they really do. There's Magical. very popular beers called Lunch. They've got another one called Dinner. Peeper. And Peeper, yes. Peeper, Percy, the, the Pilsner, which is really good. And so like you go there and you know that the beer is going to be exceptional. The pizza, they have got it's really great better. pizza. And mm-hmm. just the vibe there is beautiful, right? Like clean, you know, clean aesthetic looks like a beautiful coffee shop inside but what where where they lack and the one thing that I would just say is like I wish they had more variety of beer right like I'm still like I still love a good hazy IPA and you know to the point of like having a lager like a pilsner they didn't really have that on tap either so it's just like it's true they don't a have little a lager. bit lim- a lot of limit limitation in terms of styles. So like right across the street is this other place called Mast Landing. And that place was incredible. <laughs> that place was really good too. And they've just got all kinds of crazy, like IP, like they're just an IPA kind of place and sours. So it was that really fun to, to go back, and, back, back to back. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I, I, was, I was out in Maine and uh, just having a good time. And you're getting ready to travel, right? You're going to Chicago? Yeah, we're going to Chicago for, I've never been to a Cubs game, so we're going to knock that out. And then you asked me if if I was going to be able to go to the stock exchange there, which, um, humble brag, I've been to the New York Stock Exchange. But those things, so Chicago has the options exchange there, but you can't really just, I would like to waltz in there and hang out, but you can't just waltz in there. So what's the difference there between like a stock exchange and an options exchange? Yeah, sure. So New York Stock um New York Stock Exchange is going to be like anything you can go and buy um Eli Lilly, uh any stock is kind of where the central hub for that exchange. But the option market and an option is another investment uh, vehicle. An option is a contract to buy or sell a security. So it's a derivative of a stock. Mm. And options really started more in Chicago because of the hedging quality of options. So if you're a, a farmer and you want to hedge your your corn price, you would buy a, a put or call option on, on corn prices. So it'd be a derivative of those prices and that was just a lot bigger in Chicago. So the CBO, CB, CBOE, Chicago Board of Options Exchange, is actually uh, developed there, whereas like stocks and other things develop more in New York um, from there. So it's kind of like split up and fragmented, but now it's all electronic. It doesn't really matter where you sit, but it's still 
they still have kind of like some of the legacy infrastructure in those places. And you just can't walk in and be like, no. yo, no. I'd like to buy some options, please. No. One option, please. And uh, well, you you can go buy one option, but they will they will you can you cannot walk in there and be like, I would like to buy one option. Nor could you walk in there. <laughs> I was incredibly lucky to walk onto the stock exchange, which there isn't really a lot of like it's almost all computers now. Um and it's like a big TV set with CNBC. Oh um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So CNBC like sits on there. And the only time that like people are really trading is on the opening and closing of of the stock market, which is at um, nine thirty to ten, and then three thirty to four. That's really when the humans trade because there's a lot higher liquidity in it, and sometimes computers can make mistakes. So you have a lot. Um, you just have like a computer and a person together is way better. Um, but like throughout the day, most of the time, it's just computers doing all the trading. Interesting. This conversation sounds like it's 30 years in the future. It's like, well, the humans are there from 930 to 10 (laughs) and then the computers take over. Well, I mean, there's um, the guy who, um, so my coworker knew someone else through a a trade organization and this guy, he, he was a market maker. So from 930 to 10 and 330 to four to four, his job was making sure the stocks that he made a market in flow nothing nothing wrong happened with them so but there's a lot of liquidity in there in those times so sometimes you need a a physical person to step in and make a market in a stock and but literally he was our tour guide from like 12 30 to 2 and he nicest guy ever um i follow him on twitter still and everything but he like kind of didn't have anything to do during the middle of the day because the computers were running all of it yeah, shout That's out to crazy. Jay. Jay was like so nice and and uh, and showed me around the entire thing. It was cool. That's awesome. So that I mean that brings up the topic for today, right? New York Stock Exchange picking stocks. Sure. Yeah. Let's 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 dive into that. So one of my favorite kind of uh, tidbits is how and why stock picking is so hard. And there's tons of research papers uh, around it. But my favorite one centers around that about half of the stocks out there underperform a U.S. Treasury one-month T-bill. And you're probably like, what the hell is a U.S. Treasury Mm -hmm, T-bill? So U.S. Treasury is just uh, T-bill is a really short-term U.S. government debt instrument. And it's the, it's um, like on a scale of one to 10 on riskiness, it's like a zero. You're supposed to have almost zero risk in this. I remember we talked about the U.S. debt default crisis later, which was just a really charade. Um, but the U.S. debt is the most liquid market in the world. It's arguably the safest, and there should be no risk in it beyond like inflation. You know, if you buy a U.S. bond, maybe it won't be inflation. So for half of the stocks to not beat the safest vehicle out there is kind of mind blowing when you sit back and go, well then how do stocks outperform other asset classes if half of them can't even beat a bank account savings account? <laughs> right? How, how do they? Yes. <laughs> that is an interesting question. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, so, I mean, not every company out there is going to be your Apple or your Microsofts of the world. A lot of them will flounder and because of competition, they kind of get gobbled up and eaten. But in the really long term, investing in the broad stock market is going to be um, almost any other publicly traded asset class out there. But the biggest five companies 
which let me let me read them to you. I'm going to quote from the paper. Five companies are attributable to 10% of the stock wealth creation. Do you want to try and guess what they are? You might have you might have you might have seen this. Amazon? Okay. No, okay. no, no, no. I'm, I'm guessing here. Amazon? Ding. Apple? Uh no. Coca-Cola? It's on it's on the top okay. list of Amazon, 30. Amazon Apple. We're going to go with Google. Yep. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good guesses. You're not going to get the last one. Okay. It's fine. It's Tencent. Don't know what that is. Oh, it's uh, it's like the Chinese version of Amazon, but like a little different. Mm. Yeah. So five companies are attributable to 10% of the- Wait, that was only four. You Microsoft. My, mm, okay. That makes yeah. sense, I think. <laughs> so five companies created a ton of the the wealth creation and then once again quoting from the paper 1.4 percent of companies generated half of the stock market wealth creation and then building on that the top performing 2.4 percent of firms account for all of the net global market creation so if you're being really nerdy what you would say is there is a positive skewness to the stock market returns, meaning <laughs> you like that. So what what ends up happening is like the the top ten percent of companies outperform so much that they make up for the other companies that kind of flounder and don't do well. So why would anybody invest in those other ninety percent of companies and not just p- go all in on these ten percent? That that's a fantastic point. So if you talk about, they're really hard to pick. So like looking at Apple, last year it was down 30%. Let's zoom out a little bit. It had a 55% drawdown in the 2008 crisis. So yeah, like go, go and find the best companies and own them forever. Makes a lot of sense. Really, really hard to do um, from a standpoint. Also, like a lot of these companies almost failed. So we're kind of looking at the winners. There's a lot of other ones that that didn't make it through that. And so how how often do those like top five kind of rotate? Or are, do those like kind of monolithic companies stay up there for quite some time? They don't. They don't. That's a great point. Yeah, it's a great point. Because if you look at the 2018 version of this paper, so they updated it in 2020, um, GE and IBM are actually in the top five. And they are no longer there. I don't even know. G- GE has fallen for a lot of different reasons. There's a ton of books on it. I've read a couple of them. Humble brag. But um, GE has fallen off. So GE went through, get this, a 76% drawdown in 2020. So GE is, I don't even, I don't even see them on the top list here anymore. But IBM was on there as well. And now IBM was such a, a legacy is really big in the U.S. semiconductors. It's since kind of fallen behind Taiwan Semiconductor. But it's a great point. Like you think, oh, you can just own these companies forever and you'd be good. Um, I was actively working with clients trying to get them to sell GE. Not because I was a genius, but it was just like something's wrong. <laughs> let's let's move out of this. And so they, Apple could, something can happen with Apple. You never, you never know. Microsoft, same thing. So these these companies do change uh, over time. 
It's a great question. So I can see how this is difficult. <laughs> which kind of lends it. Not as easy as it seems. Exactly. Which kind of lends itself to like other finance bro hammers being like, well, yes, of course, you know, stock picking is it's very difficult. That's why you should work with a very reputable investment manager. You know, by the way, I have some of them for you if you'd like to to invest in those. Um, you know, for a modest fee, we can help pick those for you because we're really smart. We went to Ivy League schools and we work hard, and all we do is finance without the Wolf of Wall Streetness. But even professional managers, over the long run, don't beat a passive index, which would be the S and P five hundred which we talked a lot before. So quoting from a research paper, 91% of investment funds underperform the S&P 500 over a 10-year runway. So you'd have been better off buying the index. Now on the one year, it's a little bit better. You're about like a coin flip if your manager will um, beat the index or not. But if, you know, you should be investing for the long term. So if like one out of 10 beats, beats it, then like, what are we doing here? So then my question is, again, similar to why not just buy the top 10%, like, why wouldn't you just invest in the S&P 500? I'll answer that question. But there's one other, there's one other caveat I want to make going back to our finance, bro, is usually when you point out that like most managers don't outperform the, the index, you know, you'll get some like, well, like, you know, that's technically true, but that's why we work with like the best managers, you know, pick the best stocks, pick the best managers. Except if you look at the top funds over the last one to five years, going forward on the six, 10, 10, 10, six to 10 years, only a third of those continue to outperform. So step one, like, let's just pick the hardest stocks. Oh, wow. That's really hard. We'll get an investment manager to help us do it. Oh man, they're not good at it either. So that goes to your point. Why not just invest in S&P 500? Of course, there you go. And you can do that. This is obviously not investment advice. And if you go buy that and it goes down, which it probably will, yeah, don't sue us because it's not investment advice. Right, Fabian? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but the S&P 500 is a great investment tool for a lot of, a lot of different ways. One, it's going to be passive. So it's going to include all those stocks uh, for you. There's a little caveat. Tesla was not in S&P 500 for... Uh, a while during its kind of run up because it had really poor earnings um, quality. So it was not an S&P 500. So they do have like some factors to include uh, companies in there, but generally it's going to have the 500 biggest. It's going to auto rebalance for you. Awesome. It's going to be really cheap. You can go buy S&P 500 for like 0.023%. So practically free. So that's great. And then it's tax efficient. So whenever it like substitutes things in and out, that's not a taxable event to you. Bam, tax efficient. And it's uh, relatively easy to go purchase. Well, I mean, let's let's play a game here. How would you go about investing and picking stocks? Okay. It's a great question because usually I'll boil all that down, even for clients and everything else. And at the end of the day, like there's a part of us that's human. And I just presented all this well thought out. Uh, research that I do not 100% uh, abide by. <laughs> um, it's sometimes fun. You know, you can do things for nonsensical finance reasons. So I, I'll buy an individual stock every now and then uh, for giggles. But there's one investor that I really like who has some good books on it. It's uh, Peter Lynch. And his method of investing, and this is really, really boiling it down. But his philosophy was kind of 
looking at the products and services that are, people are using, then thoroughly researching the company, the products and the competitors. And, but you start with like, what are people using and whatnot? Um, once again, this is just a recent example. This is not investment advice. Uh, I'm probably not your financial advisor, but one recent one was um, Wagovi. Have you heard of Wagovi? I have heard of Wagovi. That's like the new rideshare, right? Are you messing with me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so my dad started using Wagovi. He's, um, I used to be a heavier guy playing football and just like with him getting into retirement, he's just put on some weight and a lot of just different factors going into that. And he just hasn't been able to drop it. And he started using, I believe it was Wagovi when we were talking. And I was like, what the hell is this Wagovi thing? And he dropped like 30 pounds pretty quickly, which is great. Like I'm also like, what are the heck are the side effects in this thing? But, you know, there's also side effects to being you know, overweight, uh, <laughs> give, give and take. And I was like, well, who, who owns this? Go in there and Novo Nordics is a company that is an international space that kind of pioneered some of these weight loss um, drugs. So I did some more research. I looked into some of the competitors. There is one, Eli Lee Manjaro. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Manjaro. Manjaro is the other competitor in the space and poking around a little bit, did some more research. And I was like, I'll buy a little bit of it. Not like a large amount of my net worth, but you know, we're talking just a couple thousand dollars of it, just a freaking like 500k, roughly. You know, this is a small percentage of my net worth. Yeah, and <laughs> and um, got kind of lucky with it. Some really good research reports come out, and boom, Nova Nordics is up roughly seventy um, percent since I bought it. But also, Eli Lilly is lockstep up with it too on really good news from its Manjaro um, and other. It has other drugs as well, but those are the two big ones in the space. So if you were to just ignore the first 15 minutes of the podcast and be like, wow, I'm going to do this anyways. That is one example. Another one is um, like on shoes. If you should, if you've seen those. Yes. Publicly traded company. So you could go and buy that. It's, it's stock, but that one, um, if you, if you timed it wrong, you could have gotten crushed on that one. It's coming better after uh, a recent earnings report. But now the issue is, okay, Nova Nordics had this great earnings report, but then right after that, you just see, all the other companies are trying to come up with that. So great, you were lucky this time, but now competition has come and set in. And like, do you keep the stock? Do you sell the stock? And I've owned it for less than a year. So if you own a stock less than a year and you sell it, you pay ordinary income tax on that on that capital gain, which could be could be pretty high. Whereas if you hold it for a year, your capital gain is lower, roughly fifteen to twenty percent, depending on your tax bracket. So now the question is like, well. Do I wait like, you know, another couple months trying to go long term or that's where it gets like really hard. So now like if you're doing this day, day trading crap, then like you have to factor in taxes, you have to factor in all these other things, part luck. And it's just it's so much harder when you could just go buy the S&P 500. But that wouldn't be as fun. Exactly. And at the end exactly. of the day, I love to gamble. So, oh, well, so what, what are we buying, Fabian? What, what, what are you, let's, let's do a little quick stock research. What are you seeing people using so around? Perfect example right now, Topo Chico, love Topo Chico. Do you know who owns it? Please not Coca-Cola. Yeah, Coca-Cola. Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> why do they have to ruin everything good? 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's so, their okay, strategy. So here's a couple other things. Okay, Whoop. I've, I just got a Whoop strap. So I love, I love Whoop. I'm seeing that more and more. I think people are really, I mean, and, and they were talking about wearable technology for a long time, right? But I think, you know, once you start getting like the Aura Ring and something like a Whoop, that's a lot less intrusive. Um, yeah. I, I really like Whoop. So this is the problem is like a lot of the cool kind of consumer gadgets like that, a lot of the time they're privately held. So Whoop is still like, it's not a public company. It's, it's privately held. Sadness. Not good. Yeah, so can't buy that one. So now you're seeing like how hard this is. It's like, oh, wow. Well, like you have to like uh, how a normal person wouldn't be able to like go invest in Whoop, even though we love it. So then you end up like investing in Apple because of its wearables, but it has so much other profit lines. You, you just want to like invest just directly in that product, but it one's hard. Is there like an alternative market to where you can invest in things that aren't? Public, like, does that even make does this yeah. question make sense? Like, things that aren't publicly traded, yeah, that maybe are privately held, where you could still kind of, yeah, there are some like third party platforms for that, um, like Angie, Angie's List, if I'm Angel's List, not Angie's List, <laughs> Angel List is is one where you can go in invest in um, private companies, uh, but like a company like Whoop probably won't be on there. Like, they probably don't want your money and don't need to be on that platform. So that's like one of the, the issues in it um like noble privately held company you can't invest in that one um aurora good for them <laughs> good for them um like is aurora i doubt they're publicly traded who owns them it doesn't look like it um like the ring company aura yeah yeah they popped yeah. up on here too let's see who owns them aura. freaking coca-cola uh, privately held they don't need your money they just raised a hundred million dollars no they don't need your money sorry buddy so when they raise a hundred million dollars are they can does that indicate that they're going to continue to be privately held or does that indicate that they're eventually going to want to go public uh i all of them are a little different but typically when you're when you're a raising money like this, the, the end goal is to be brought public. So the VCs yeah. are, they put a hundred million dollars in for this. I don't really know what the valuation is, but you would think that they would, they want to exit with roughly, you want to try and get to like a billion dollars in valuation. Cause that's where like a really good sweet spot for going public for the costs and, and everything like that. Um, but that would be, that would be the end goal. But then like, you know, now they're selling their stock high to you on the public market. And it's usually, that's why IPOs are so hard when they go public is because like the insiders are selling at the high and there's a lot of other people competing with it. And then you and me are just normies and can only really buy it when it hits uh, the stock market, when it's trading at a high price. There should be, there should be laws against this. Well, there kind of is like, cause uh, we're, we're too poor to invest in high risk investments. So uh, we are deemed to not be allowed to invest in these for the most part. You need to be a qualified purchaser, which is uh, $5 million liquid net worth. Oof. Yeah. That's like sitting in your bank account money. So Damn. I know you have that, you know, I know you're just a humble guy in Noblesville just, Oh, you know, we just, you know, we're just like our cookie cutter house, but we got 5 million in the bank. So you might be able to. You know, I just went to Maine. Yeah. Yeah. We have to our, there. No our, big deal. Our summer, our summer cottage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
These are some good. What are the questions you have? These are good. Uh, I had a question. I'd have to let me give me one second. Let me look through my phone real quick because I took a a screenshot of this, and it's something. It had something to do with like the month of September. Oh, being the worst, worst for market. May, maybe. Okay, here we go. Yes. So this was coming from the Wall Street Journal. This was on, when did I take this screenshot? I took this screenshot on August 4th. It says, stocks have had a great year. Cue the September effect. What is the September effect? Um, not 100% sure why like September and October are just historically like horrible months for the stock market, but they, they just are. I don't think there's a big reason behind it. But the biggest crashes have predominantly happened in like October. So like Black Monday in 1987, the stock market fell in like 20%. Actually ended up the year up positive, but in like three days crashed 20%. Um, that happened in October. The Great Depression stock market crashes happened in October. So just for whatever reason, just like statistical anomaly would be my guess is like the markets tend to be... Uh, less forgiving in September for whatever reason. But like, you never know what can happen. Like this year can go up a lot. Then that's why you save message. I smell an opportunity. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What are, you, what are we doing? <laughs> I, I don't know, but if something crashes, I'm there buying we go. it. There we go. With your five mil in the bank, you rotate that in, take advantage of the down draw. That's right. I like it. That's I like right. It. That's what I'll be doing. Yeah. I may, maybe we should do a little article on that. Be good. Who knows? I mean, Wall Street Journal did it first, but no big deal. That's fine. They've been stealing my ideas <laughs> sure, for I'm years. I'm sure you don't have share of share of readership. Um, we didn't talk about the other thing, too. I don't think there's going to be a recession until Taylor Swift stops touring. We should have led with this. But neither of us, I'm surprised you didn't get a code, but neither of us got a oh code. And we're both in Indianapolis. How is there not like some geo zip code thing like for the people? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. So Kristen follows all these accounts. And like, I call BS on a lot of what she's telling me because I'm like, how do these people know, right? But everything that she told me about the ticketing, like turned out to be true. So I have to stop doubting her. So she said that she thinks that Ticketmaster knows where you live and was purposefully not like what was like purposefully metering the amount of local people that were able to get tickets to get people from other markets a chance to buy tickets. Screw that, man. Because none of the indie people I know got them at all. Yeah. This messed up Tay-Tay. But I don't think we're going to have a recession until she stops touring based on our previous discussions. But you sent me this from Ticketmaster. It's got like the Taylor Swift era logo on it. You've been invited to go F yourself. We know you can't afford the tickets anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I felt. Yeah. And you know what's terrible? Like we went through this process the first time around yeah. and the dynamic ticket pricing is just so effed up. I hate it. I don't like it. There's nothing good about it. Mm-hmm. Like whatever happened to a ticket price being a ticket price? I know. I know. Right? This dynamic pricing is so stupid. Do you want to hug it out? So whatever. Whatever. Yeah. We can drink some wine and listen to Taylor Swift. It's all good. And hug it out. Yeah. Yes. Well, any other burning questions? That's all I've got for today. That's, yeah, same. Same, same. All right. Well, as always, send in your questions. We'll happy to answer them. And 
rate, subscribe, podcast. Love it. And appreciate you guys listening. <laughs>